Hey, Neighbors Church, Dan and Alexis here to have another conversation with you. It's definitely starting to feel like fall here in San Diego. I'm personally thrilled by it. Some cooler temperatures. Yeah, (laughs) meaning it's like dropping down to 70 and I've got to wear a little bit thicker wetsuit than I do during the summer. That's fall in San Diego. I've seen a few leaves (laughs) on the ground. So it's like a whole new experience here for us. Every year that fall rolls around, we're like, this is fall. I'm in my board shorts and I'm going surfing this morning. It's so crazy. No, but really, I mean, the light's changing, um, the weather is cooling, um, so I feel excited. definitely feels like fall's here. We've been considering this upcoming season and just thinking about the change that comes um, with the season. As we talked about, you know, leaves start to change, um, the temperature decreases, and we start to have shorter hours of light. In agrarian cultures, this time of year brings harvest, and so it's a chance for farmers to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Um, As we all know, 2020 has been a year of so much noise. We have COVID, we had, um, and we still have highly publicized shootings that highlight the ongoing racial tensions in our country. There have been protests, riots, political fighting, cancel culture, there's economic upheaval, there's been fires, there's been murder hornets, and let's not forget those aliens. Aliens, man, 2020. So this has been a year and there has been so much noise. And so we are personally feeling ready in this season to enter into some quiet. Seasonally, we are entering a time where creation begins to lay dormant. Harvest has come and the ground takes a breather. The ground literally comes to rest. The ancient Hebrews were actually commanded by God to tend their fields with rhythms of planting, growth, harvesting, and then letting the land rest and be still. So as trees in some areas are losing their leaves and those trees are going to go dormant for a season and even certain animals prepare to go into hibernation, like their fur gets thicker and they're ready to go into hibernation and sleep. Hey, did you guys know this? Did you guys know that the longest hibernating animal is a species of frog, the lithobates sylvaticus. And they live in like these super cold regions, kind of like Alaska and areas like that. And these frogs can hibernate for an upwards of seven months. <laughs> seven months, like a full shutdown for seven months. I need a seven month nap. Oh my gosh, a seven <laughs> month nap would be absolutely incredible. And this is why you guys listen to the Neighbors Church podcast and these conversations because the next night you're at trivia, you're going to win when this question comes up. <laughs> what is the longest hibernating animal? Yeah, the days are definitely getting shorter. And um, my family, Alexis and I, we try to embrace the rhythms of the year. And this is a time for us where seeds have been planted. And in, like she said, in an agrarian culture, it's a time now to just wait and watch and embrace Simplicity and stillness. We've really been reflecting on this word emerge. What emerges from the soils of prayer, what emerges from the soils of relationship. And in harvest time, in the fall time, this is when the farmers get to just watch all of their hard work emerge. Uh, they actually do get a little more still. Harvest is a hard time of work, but there's this emerging that happens in this time as well. And so, like a time for us to take a long, um, deep breath. And we really are 
looking at the fall and um, the Thanksgiving season and going into Christmas as a chance to listen again, Mm -hmm. to really deeply listen. Um, You know, we don't get this down here in San Diego, but I I grew up in Idaho and um, one of my favorite things was backcountry skiing in the central sawtooths of Idaho. And I would love these times. This is before I was a Christian. My buddy and I and uh, another friend of ours, he had a snowmobile and he would snowmobile us way back into these mountains and we'd pick a ridge and Travis would run us up to the top of the ridge. And then I'd let my buddies that I was skiing with run their lines first and it would just leave me sitting on the top of this mountain in the middle of nowhere. And the thing about the mountains when they're covered in snow is there's this, this silence. I mean, it's like, uh, it's a quiet that's hard to describe because you're out in the wilderness. There's no people. Uh, all the animals have gone dormant because it's so cold. And I would love, love, love those 10 minutes before I'd run my line of just sitting up there listening to the quiet. And I, I really do think even in those days before I was a Christian, that was like the beginnings of my journey, my personal journey towards learning to um, not flee silence, but embrace silence. I think that even then, uh, as the contemplatives say, the Lord or God's first language is silence. I think even then in my unbelieving state, without the Holy Spirit, God, even in those moments, was, was tenderly beginning to commune with my soul in those places In order to listen, we have to make room for quiet. And so we have to intentionally create space. We've got to say no to things and we have to take a break from the distracting noise. And so this is the time of year to do that. Honestly, now is the perfect time to settle in and undistract. Um, the, The election is over. I mean, COVID is still COVID. Our economy is still fragile. But why not embrace this time with purpose and enter into a season of stillness and aimed intention? And we do this because we actually see this is what Jesus did. Often in the Gospels, we read about him retreating after intense times of ministry. Jesus lived an unhurried life. There were always demands and circumstances that were pressing in on him, yet with intentionality, He would take these moments and retreat. He would take a day and he would pause. He wasn't in a constant rush. And so here's just a few reasons that we came up with reading just texts of scripture this past week that we saw this pattern with Jesus and why he retreated. So he first retreated often to pray. Luke 5, 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And then in Mark, it talks about After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. And so prayer develops union with God. Mm -hmm. And it's important to practice Mm -hmm. different forms of prayer. There's supplication or confession. There's intercessory type prayers. As well, when we retreat and we get alone, we can truly become still. And in being still, we're able to just be with God. And that is really a really pure form of prayer. Taking time to press into our communication with God, whether that's through active prayer or receptive prayer, it deepens our intimacy with him and our hearts are actually knit with his. You know, prayer sometimes can be a trigger word for us in the Christian community. And if we're 
If we're intentionally moving into the fall as an act of listening and an act of rest, prayer should not trigger guilt in us, friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you actually, I, I just, I, I hope that you hear this as an encouragement. You're actually praying more than you think. We've been trained in a Western model of prayer, which is a lot of talking. I mean, a lot of talking. Prayer is asking, prayer is confessing, prayer is interceding, and it is all of those things. But the, the contemplative Christian looks at prayer not only as an active voicing with words, but as a receiving passive silence. Mm-hmm. And the running stream of consciousness that we as Christians have is often asking questions. We don't recognize that that running stream of consciousness, all it needs is just a little awareness and a little attention directed towards God. And you're suddenly in a state of prayer. And so I think it's good for you to encourage yourself as you enter into the fall season, a fall season of prayer that isn't plagued with guilt. Oh, I need to be praying more. Oh, I wish I would have said more prayers. Oh, I didn't pray the right way. Start where you are. Start right where you are. And allow yourself the gift of grace in knowing that even times of silence and openness to God, those are some of the sweetest times of prayer from the perspective of our Father. And it's very simple. The stillness and the silence and those acts of embodied prayer are, um, they delight our Father's heart. And you can rejoice in that. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of John the disciple leaning in to Jesus. Literally, he would lay, he would rest on his chest. And just that sense of like Mm -hmm. being in, leaning in, listening to the heartbeat of our Father. That's such a, that is such an incredible picture of prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, we think we have the imagery of these Renaissance paintings where the, the folks' knees are bleeding <laughs> because they're self-flagellating, which just means you're beating yourself to death. And we Western Christians, we're actually really good at that. We're really good at beating ourselves up with the religious laws and rules and, and all of those things. But the sweetness of salvation is that God has done the work. Mm-hmm. And so that imagery of John leaning into the breast of Jesus hearing his heartbeat, mm-hmm. not saying a word, just resting in Jesus. What a profound image uh, for the fall. What a profound image to lead us into deep uh, prayer that brings union with God and restores the, the unsettledness that I think all of us have been experiencing through this year. Another way that we see Jesus um, retreating and why he was retreating is or actual rest. Um, in Matt, Mark 6, 31 through 32, it says, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. You know, that frog and those hibernating animals, they're onto something. They, re- they really are. And I love that Mark tells us that they were so busy, they didn't even eat. Yeah, they couldn't even eat. It was just so busy. How many times have I been talking with somebody and we've been working on either their sleep hygiene or their nutrition hygiene, just basic embodied practices that bring health to the body and the soul. And I'll ask them about their eating patterns. Do you eat breakfast? Tell me what you eat for breakfast. What do you eat for lunch? And they're oftentimes like, you know what? I get out of bed and my alarm goes off and I go and I forget to eat and I which puts them into a weird caloric deficit, which messes up their body and their system for the day. That, that going, 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 constant distraction, constant movement, we are physically, spiritually, and emotionally exhausted. 
And uh, I can remember my dear friend and counselor, Rich Plass, in the early days of my own kind of therapy sessions, he talked to me and he explained to me that the human soul, think of our souls like a lake, like a mountain lake. And uh, a season for the soul like 2020 and uh, a culture like ours that we live in, not just the year 2020, but our culture is like a storm. It's just, there's constant wind of distraction and constant wind of movement and constant wind of conflict and needing to do, do, do and succeed, succeed, keep up, keep up. And so the soul, which is in this image, a lake becomes stirred up and the surface is just roiling with white caps and waves and crashing onto the beach and there's nothing calm. It's like a tempest. And that's the way I think that a lot of us feel. It's oftentimes why we avoid silence and stillness because we suddenly come to grips with, whoa, there's a lot going on in there that's messed mm -hmm. up. So our souls and our minds become chaotic. Our minds are just always running, running, running that narrative that's just making us feel kind of crazy. And then the constant uh, gritting of the teeth, the stress in the back of the shoulders, that knot in our chest, that, oh, that ache in our belly, the overwhelm. And we live in a society where we actually think this is normal. Mm. Uh, we live in an Enneagram 3 type A society, which means we run on adrenaline. And the faster we're going, the better we're doing, the bigger it is, the more successful it is, the better off we are. And we're running ourselves ragged. So the fall season for my wife and I, and we think in this conversation approaching 2021, we really do want to let the waters of our soul settle. You know, going back to Idaho, there's, there's a lot of nostalgia for me in Idaho, backpacking way back in the sawtooths and the early mornings were my favorite because you would wake up by these, these alpine lakes and there's no wind and these lakes are absolutely, they're stunning. They just, they blow your mind. They're so beautiful and they're perfectly still. Mm -hmm. And then you have this surrounding mountain kind of vista landscape all around you. And there you are alone sitting in front of this beautiful creation that God has made. And those waters are so still that you can barely tell the difference between the actual mountains and the reflection of the mountains in the lake. It's, it's uh, there, I really don't have words to explain some of the imagery that I've been able to just soak in, in those mountains. That's actually a beautiful picture of our souls. It, it bears true with our souls. Yeah. When we get yep. perfectly still, we better reflect the image of our non-anxious God through our lives. It's so perfect. Oh my gosh, I love that. That's, yes. You know, when you're just, if we are image bearers, we reflect the glory of God. The more still we become, the more rightly we are reflecting who he is um, into our internal being and into our, our, external, uh, our external world. You know, a third reason that Jesus himself and we too must take a deep breather in our hibernation seasons, embrace silence for extended amounts of time is because we need to grieve. And I really think that of the, the three reasons that Lex and I are talking about right now, this may be the most important one for most of us. Um, Matthew 14 says, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist, John the Baptist was his friend, a colleague in ministry, the a forerunning prophet to his ministry. When Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, Jesus's cousin, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Jesus was grieved. 
he was saddened by the death of his family member and his friend. And I, I think that this is crucial because in my own journey, um, I remember a dear friend of mine telling me we had just gone through a church split in 2012 and I had been expressing my, my emotional uh, experience with him and it, it was just interwoven with anger and rage and, and I wish this and I wish that. And Jeff looked at me and he said, you know, Dan, I hear everything you're saying, but you know what I think you need to do? You need to take a weekend away and cry. You need to grieve over these losses. And 2020 has been um, a lot of loss. I think that most of us were cruising into 2020 with like, you know, 2020 vision, man, here we go. And all the things that we thought were coming for us. And the house of cards that is um, oftentimes our expectations built up in our minds has come crumbling down around us. And that is a loss that we need to uh, grieve. We need to grieve what has been happening in our society. You know, some of us, we react. Anger is usually a camouflage, ang- camouflage emotion for fear or for insecurity. Um, and as we watch what's happening um, in the, the police and the Black Lives Matter movements, there is grief there. Our friends are hurting. People are hurting. And we should weep over that. Our father is weeping over that. You know, we can mock and scorn and make light of the political situation right now. We can get angry about where we are societally and civilly, if you can call it civility. But at root, there's a real tragedy right now. And that's a loss for us as a society. And it's important that we don't just gloss over that with anger or gloss over that with sarcasm and mockery. But we take time to say, you know what? This is making me sad. Because the Bible talks about and the Bible reveals a God who is in pain over his creation. God is not emotionally removed. Uh, Paul tells us in the book of Thessalonians that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, he can be grieved. He can be saddened by our behavior. We see Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. It's the shortest and maybe some of the most potent two verses or two words in all of the gospel of John. Jesus wept. God grieves. We need to get away and journal out the things that are actually making us sad. Ignoring these places of loss and sadness by just kind of trudging forward. That's like stepping into 2021, going on the journey with like a sprained ankle at best, maybe even a broken leg or an amputated leg at worst. It it can be done, but there's going to be this limping through the rest of the year and hindrance So taking time to grieve and acknowledge these losses and acknowledge what hurts and crying with that, with God, allows us to begin to favor these pain points a little bit, like you would favor a sprain. And that actually connects us back to God's heart in the midst of all this. I love Pete Scazzaro and he just, he's all about, you know, being emotionally healthy as believers, as leaders And um, he talks about grief as this means to enlarge our souls. And he actually argues that if we follow God's pathway for us, paying careful attention to our pain, waiting with him and confusing in between and letting the old birth, the new, 
we experience this stripping away of our false selves in order to become the new men and women that we were truly meant to be. Yeah, that's an interesting take uh, that Pete has there, that it's to, to become acquainted with our grief strips away the false self. I know that's true for me. My false self is tough and somewhat, uh, there's a little bit of bravado in there, and that's a guard against the vulnerability of, of being sad in front of people. Yeah, and really for the most part, we avoid grief in those, you know, more darker feelings, um, those feelings that are deeply intense, you know, in the core of our being because it's very vulnerable. And it exposes that those those most tender places in our hearts. Yeah, and it doesn't help too that the messaging we get is this kind of keep it positive culture no matter what. Yeah. It, it, to acknowledge grief is to acknowledge in some sense defeat. Mm-hmm. And that's a really vulnerable and scary and humbling thing, I think, for our souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is all great to talk about and to think about Jesus, but we need to actually do something. There is action that is required on our part. And so retreat and rest takes work. It takes intention. And sometimes it feels like you're laboring to retreat and rest. And Thomas Keating said that it's this idea of contemplative activism without um, some key decisions to disrupt our patterns, we're just going to keep on going on the hamster wheel. We're just going to keep running and running and running and really have no end in sight. So it does take um, a disruption of our patterns. And so we just want to go into, you know, a way that we can disrupt the pattern and then talk about the joy of missing out on <laughs> with the disruption and saying no to some things. There's some things that we're going to miss out on, but it's mm. embracing that the joy of missing mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Yeah. This, there's some concrete stuff and, uh, this, this first one, you know, it's, it's in the air. Everybody's talking about it, but what I'm noticing is the actual doing of it is, um, trendy to talk about. And it's post actually it. really hard. Again, it's, it's, you have to labor <laughs> at it. Yeah. It's what we just call going into the digital desert, going into the digital desert. And you know where this is going guys. Yeah. This is more than just like a detox, um, saying, okay, for 10 days, um, I've actually, committed with one of my friends to not be on Instagram till 2020. And I've already broken it, you know, on more than one occasion. This is so funny. Everybody's like, I'm going to detox. I'm going to do a full, like 10 days of detox, which means about three days in, I'm just going to check real quick just to see. (laughs) Yeah. So going into a digital desert uh, really does mean turning off your newsfeed, deleting the social media, um, stopping the YouTube rabbit holes, But it takes some accountability, too, because, um, you know, we all have that new setting on our phone where we can, you know, limit our time. Like, for instance, with Instagram, we can say, I only want to be on there 30 minutes a day. But then you can easily just bypass that and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. And so where Dan and I have, you know, kind of helped each other along with that is he has the passcode to my phone and when I am on Instagram, if I'm going to be on there and I want more time, I actually have to go to Dan and say, <laughs> can I have 15 more minutes? And he has to put the passcode in. Oh, I've got um, all the power. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but going into a digital desert uh, does require an intention and a focus because um, it's hard. It's really hard. But in my mind, it's like, now's the time to do it. Literally, um, the election's over. There's not really a lot right now that we need to utterly be keeping track of. Even with COVID, it's like, okay, COVID is still COVID. The numbers are always fluctuating and changing. 
now's the time to go into that digital desert. You know, the the digital desert thing, the reason that it's so difficult, and I, I wasn't persuaded of this, um, but I have become increasingly persuaded of this. Uh, there, there's a real addiction. There's an addiction that is just as strong as nicotine or opiate. It is a powerful addiction. And um, it runs on the reward systems of our brain. And there are very, very intelligent people that have actually engineered these systems to run on the dopamine and the serotonin and the reward systems of our brain and hook us. You know, I'm sure you've heard of it. Maybe you've been avoiding it. Maybe you've seen it. We actually talked about it. Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. The the Netflix special, The Social Dilemma. Um, right after this podcast, go watch it. The, the addiction thing is real. And you need to understand that because it's addiction, there's a level where this is going to be hard for you to actually believe this, but you don't have control of it. The human brain is an extremely powerful tool. And the human brain knows how to trick the body and even the mind to get what it wants, that reward thing. And so the detox thing is great. But what we do with the detox thing is the detox thing just becomes, I'm just going to grit my teeth, sneak a couple looks until I can get back to uh, doping the system. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And that's why for myself, I recognize this in myself. And it was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to full send this. I'm going to full send it. I'm going to, I, I didn't just shut down my Instagram account. I deleted it. I deleted my Facebook account, which at the time I was like, this is how I connect with everybody. This is how I get information out. This is what am I going to do? Uh, I no Twitter, um, no Snapchat, uh, no TikTok. Although I did do a TikTok with my daughter, which was a ton of fun. It was actually hilarious. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is the way that these systems work. My addiction is so deep that all I did was find a new source or a new type of drug in the social media world. So podcast, man, holy moly. I had all sorts of time to just cram podcasts. And I found myself in, rather than going through the withdrawal and moving my, my FOMO, my fear of missing out to a JOMO, the joy of missing out, I just started cramming podcasts. And then the podcast got political. And then I got really flustered and my feathers got real ruffled all the time. And then here's the funniest one. And I, I actually am confessing this to you right now, my dear friend, because I got to do something about it. YouTube, man, I find that my brain is just like excited to get on YouTube, not even to watch the videos, just to see what random videos come up. And, you know, <laughs> I'll end up down the YouTube hole watching a baby elephant chase a dog because I don't know, they've, they've figured me out. So... This is the thing. There's going to be withdrawals. And I personally, I'm not, I'm not, um, how do I say this? I'm not persuaded that just a short detox is what rids your senses and your system and your heart of the, the chaos that's there. So you have to face the withdrawal moment of what is this actually going to be like? And then that fear of missing out, which for a lot of us can be terrifying, like, like yeah. our son. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. Our son really, 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 his entire life actually struggles with the fear of missing out. In fact, when he was just a little guy, one of the best like ways to, you know, in a moment, maybe he's being intense is, you know, to teach him is just to separate him and to say, okay, Joby, 
we want you to go into your room for five minutes, sit on your bed, like don't look at books, you know, no playing with Legos, just sit on your bed for five minutes. And that separation not being right in the heart of our home where everyone was, was death to him. He would literally be laying on the floor, like talking through the crack of his door, being like, when can I come out? He experienced this intense fear of missing out. And he always has. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's so Joby now is no longer a little boy. He's hit that teenage moment where like in like a couple days he grew like eight inches or something. It's really crazy. He's getting to be a very tall man. And yet whenever the family's together, Joby just has to be right in the middle of the pile. The other night we actually wanted to pay him five bucks to see if he could just spend five minutes at the dinner table, not saying a word. We're going to pay him $5 to not say a single word and not be involved. And he had such a fear of missing out that he couldn't do it. He made it like like two minutes. <laughs> and so there is a process. There is a process because all of us, whether you're wired like Joby or whether you're a complete introvert like me, you still are going to have this fear of missing out. What am I missing? What am I not seeing? What are my friends doing? What about the news feeds? What about the podcast? What mm-hmm. about What about the YouTube videos? What about baby elephants chasing dogs? I can't miss that, right? And the brain is literally convinced that you are missing something vital to your existence. And it's only, as all addicts know, it's only after you recognize step number one of the 12 steps. I don't have control of this. This has control of my life. And I have to give myself to a higher power. And this moment of saying, I'm going to give myself to God is where a transition happens. Mm-hmm. You, I have begun to recognize moments, oh, I'm not fearing missing out right now. I'm actually joyfully having a moment of missing out where normally my brain would be taking in data, news, YouTube videos, podcast, and I'm taking in sunlight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm taking in the, the beauty of my family at this dinner table, having dinner together with phones put away. I'm taking in the dolphins out on the horizon during an early morning session, and I'm not distracted by all the things that are in my brain. I'm in the moment. And it, it's truly a higher power. It's Jesus that is coming and filling that space. And I'm not going to tell you that it's like super easy and wonderful, but I'm going to tell you step by step in recovery, uh, these amazing epiphanies come about. Yeah. It's the joy of missing out. You know, it's hard. It is really hard. And it's hard to face up to the fact that we cannot truly unplug from everything. We live in a digital age now. We're never going to be able to be completely away from it all. Yeah, you're not going to miss anything. Yeah, no. There's always um, going to be these information portals that we can connect to. And so it's important to know as well that this isn't this like escapist mentality either. That's not what we're pushing. Um, This is actually an intentional way of being in the world that will help us interact, engage, with people around us in a more kingdom-based way. And that's the crucial component for us during this season is it's being intentional. Yeah. Our daughter, she's taken this step with us too. She's 17 and, um, you know, the full send TikTok, Instagram, and we've been walking with her through that. And um, she's, she's full sending this, this situation. So she's shut down all of those things right now. And the other day, Um, we were talking with her about that and she said, you know, what I've come to realize is I don't want to be a follower anymore. And the context of that was her deleting her social media accounts um, because we'd had a conversation with her and her initial, her initial thoughts were, look, fear of missing out. 
when all my friends do this, then maybe I'll do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she made, when she pulled the trigger on this, now she's like, I, I don't want to be uh, just following. And, and a Jomo thing is happening, excuse me, happening with her too, this joy of missing out in reflecting with her lately. She's, she said to us, this is a direct quote that she said to us, she said, you know, without social media, I actually feel more connected to my community than I did when I had social media. Guys, listen, this is a 17 year old teenage girl. Now, granted, my daughter is so wise. I think Sophia has a gift of wisdom and, but her example is this anecdotal evidence 17 years old. And she says, without social media, I'm more connected to my community than I was when I had social media. And she said, what I'm realizing is without the social media stuff, it requires me to actually be intentional. I have to actually be intentional about reaching out to the people that I love. And it, it makes these conversations when I have them with the people that I care about, it makes them all the more precious to her. And then there's all the side benefits. She's saying, I'm getting better sleep. Yeah, because your brain is starting to become that still lake reflecting God. Better time management. Guys, we're kidding ourselves if we don't recognize that we're wasting at least two hours a day on that whatever rabbit hole we run down. Yeah, I love this. Sophia has literally recognized that the margin that's been created through removing TikTok and Instagram off her phone has actually increased her ability to have meaningful connection with real people in real life, not on a screen. And that's what we're talking about with being intentional. You know, we aren't just encouraging stillness and getting alone um, as this thing of like, just push all the people out. And if there's anything that we've learned through 2020 is that we need the community of Jesus. We need one another. We weren't meant to live in isolation. And so silence creates margin and stillness births spirit-empowered activity in our relationships. And then solitude also shapes that community. Mm -hmm. And so we just want to encourage you guys today, remove the noise, press into the quiet, listen, lean into community with intention, Mm -hmm. embrace the joy of missing out. Love it. Yeah. Shalom, friends. Hello.